Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to NBA Finals File. I am Jabari Davis, joined by, of course, seven-time champ Robert Ory. We left off part one after game four, you know, the, the series tied 2-2. But now it's time to have some fun because game five is also known as the Robert Ory game. You know, you can say a lot of things, but it's all about getting out on the court and executing. You know, there's a lot of people going to talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. You got to go out there and execute. Rob, I got to be honest with you. I was excited because we finally get an overtime classic in the finals. You know, there, there were four straight blowouts by the home teams that start this. And I have to say... This game already would have been my favorite of the series, but the fact that it may have been your best game of your career absolutely made it that much better. We are ready for one of the most important finals games in recent memory. For the record, I know you had a 40-piece against the Bucks in the regular season <laughs> back in 95, and you actually hit 24 in the playoffs against the Blazers one year. But given the circumstances and the significance of the game, would you agree that this was your best game of your career? I would say this is the best game, one of the best games. You know, if you, you look at the moment and the severity of the game, um, game five on the road in a hostile environment. And I say that also because if you look at the first half, zero points in the first half for Robert Ory. Oh, you yeah. know, it was it was one of those games where we'll get more into it when we talk about story time. But it was one of those games where you you go to the locker room and you, you try to give yourself all types of pep talks. But we'll talk more about that later. If I'm not mistaken, it wasn't just zero at halftime. I think you only had three by the end of the third quarter. You put in the work. Okay, all right, because you put in the work in, you know, down the stress of this one. But, okay, let's go ahead and jump into it. Look, I'll be honest. This one felt like a prize fight. I'm, you know, I, I'm a little bit older, so you know, I, I still you know, I still watch boxing. I grew, I came up on boxing. This one absolutely felt like a prize fight. Both teams were trading buckets, bumps, and blows. You know, you know Parker with a floater, Phillips on the other end with a drive, Duncan on the block, then Sheed on the block. Just a fantastic first quarter. Mid right in forecourt against Rasheed to the lane, forces contact, missed the shot. Rasheed taps it to Chauncey. Chauncey forecourt, long gun, he got it. The triple by Mr. Big Shot puts the Pistons up seven, and the crowd going crazy. You know, as the Pistons, they push the lead out to six or seven a couple times only to have your Spurs keep chipping away at it. You guys actually built a nine-point lead earlier in the quarter, and even though Detroit shot just seven for 21 in the second, they were able to claw back and they tied it up. 
<laughs> the guys were tied at 42 at half in this one. Yeah, the thing about that is we knew the severity of this game. We knew we had to keep the crowd up. We knew they was going to try to do take the same formula from last game, attack us. You know, when teams attack you, sometimes they don't like to be attacked. And I said to us, hey, we're going to establish ourselves on the inside early with Tim because that's going to make it easier for us on the outside. Of course, Tim, you know, he's typical Tim Duncan, start doing jump hooks, you know, being aggressive. And that's the thing we don't talk about Tim. Tim is, you know, we talk about his quietness and how good he is, but he's a competitor. He doesn't like to lose in anything. I noticed from playing video games with him, from playing poker with him, he hates to lose. <laughs> and so in these moments, he wants the ball to establish himself and establish his dominance. He, he don't say it with his mouth. He just said he does it with his action. And we sometimes see that look in certain players' eyes. We say, you know what? He means business like this. Go to him and get out of his way. All right. I have to ask, you know, and, and this is an aside. What's Tim's video game of choice? What do you, what were you guys playing? What were you guys competing against one another? What's the, what's the shooting game? Um, Duck Hunt? No, the war game. <laughs> oh, like GoldenEye? It, that that would have been like GoldenEye era. No, no, no. It was the, Halo. Um, Halo. Yeah, it was Halo and another one that he loved to play. So, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, look, it's already been mentioned that you only had three points by the end of the third quarter. But to be honest with you, it makes the fourth quarter in overtime that much more impressive because you came out in that fourth quarter smoking hot. Four minutes left in game five. A pitch out left to Ori. Eight to shoot. Ori's three. Good from the left. And that ties the game at 79. So, Rob, with just under four minutes to go in, in the fourth, Manu found you on the wing on a driving kick. You froze Sheed with a ball fake before knocking down another three, tying the game at 79. Do, do you remember this play? Oh, yeah, I do remember this play. Um, it, it's so weird that there's so many moments that athletes or basketball players, they call they do what's called a heat check. And even though, you know, you knock down a couple of shots, you get a couple of layups, as a player, you think you're hot. You know, everybody say, everybody can make a layup, but no, nah, that, that's a heat check. And so at that moment, I was, it's, it's hard to explain, but you get this feeling inside your body. It's almost like electricity. And the rim becomes bigger. You know, everybody talks about it. Every basketball talks about how the rim gets bigger. And it actually does. Everything kind of slows down. And in that moment for me, I was feeling really good, feeling amped. And I think, it, like you said, it had to do with the previous games. I had started figuring out my shot. And at that moment, I pumped fake sheet. And I'm like, what the heck? Let's try it. <laughs> I, you know, let it fly. That's our model, to let it fly. And it dropped in my bottom. And you kept it. You kept it going because with just under a minute to go, you knocked down another three. Ori, Robert Ori. Doesn't matter what uniform he wears, what arena it's in. Robert Ori. And I want to actually you key in on that. I know you said ball players simply live for those moments, but what's going through your mind is you're putting up 13 in the quarter, especially given the slow game that you had had prior to it. For me, I'm like. Run me some plays, Pop. Please, I'm hot. You know, but <laughs> it, it, that didn't happen. You just, you know, we're so good as a team that we can move the basketball. And I just made sure I got to the spot that I know that the ball was going to come to. You know, people always know that first kick out is normally not the shot. The second pass is the shot that you normally get. So I, posi I positioned myself not in a position to be the first pass, but the second pass. You can see me during the course of the games. I'm like, Bruce, move, man, move, because this is the second slot. I want this shot. <laughs> and, and so you put yourself in that position to score. And for me at that time, when you're rolling like that, you just want to touch it. You want to catch it. You want to shoot it and see what happens. All right, so keeping it going, to no one's surprise, Detroit winds up sending the game into OT on a last-second block on a Manu drive. Down to seven seconds. Don't wait too long, Manu. Manu's going to drive on Prince. All the way in. Runner in the lane. No good. Follow is no oh. good by Duncan. And there's the buzzer. Tim had a tip in for the game. We are going to overtime. Oh, man. Tim Duncan had the tip in at the rim that would have won the game. But we are going instead to overtime. Pushing it forward in the action, we get to about the 130 mark in OT. And you guys are down four when you caught, a, you, know, you caught a rough pass on the wing that actually pulls you off your spot. After a ball fake, you drop the hammer on a still-moving Rip Hamilton. Off to Ori, right wing, fakes the three. He's going to drive it inside. Slam, dunk Robert Ori. And the shot is good in the foul on Rip Hamilton. What a power move by Robert Ori. No one's going to block that shot. Do you, re do you remember that dunk? And, and were you worried that you might get called for the charge? Uh, I remember that dunk. And there's a couple of reasons why I remember that dunk. Um, I'm going to start with number one. My middle son, Cameron, was at that game. And before the game, 
he was talking, Dad, you never dunk anymore. Oh. I said, do you dunk? And so I was excited that this dunk, because this is one of the, my most exciting dunks I've had in a long time. And so as I was going to the hole, you know, it was a bad pass. And so they know I was hot from three. So they rushed out there to push me off the three. I had to drive. And when I took off, I was saying to myself, did I just take off too far? I'm not <laughs> going to make it. And then I said, oh, I got five fouls. Is Rip going to slide over and take this charge? That'll be six fouls. But I was able to get to the basket. I was able to drop the hammer, but also hurting my shoulder at the same time. So Rip, we talked about this before and we talked about, man, he said, I shouldn't have got over there. <laughs> but yeah, this was one of my most exciting dunks. And I actually have a friend that calls this the Batman dunk. I don't know why, because it just looks like I'm flying through the air like Superman or Batman. Yeah, I was going to say, it was like the Superman pose. You like it, it, it was a fantastic dunk. Absolutely fantastic. You know, on that dunk, a lot of people will, will look at it like, but you're right hand. Why did you dunk left-handed? There's a few reasons why I started dunking left-handed. The number one reason is because I broke my right thumb <laughs> in, in college. So... I had to still work out, and we did a lot of things left-handed, um, jump hooks, everything. So I learned how to jump off my right leg more than my dominant leg, which is my left. And then as I went on, I strained my MCL in my left leg, which caused me to use my right leg even more. So these are two of the main reasons why I was a left-handed dunker, because the the, <laughs> the left leg is the dominant leg, which is the jumping leg for most right-handed guys. That side had been injured. From, you know, you know, torn ligaments in the ankle to ACL injury in the knee and to a right thumb being broken. So it made me use my left hand a lot throughout my career. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to me, you know, as an outsider, the, the things that you guys are, you know, supreme athletes are able to do with your bodies, especially given the fact that you, it, you essentially had to adjust because your body was messed up. <laughs> you, know, you know, the other side of your body was messed up. So, yeah, no, it, it, it remains impressive to me. Well, thank you. I try to impress a lot of people with my skill set. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So continuing on, we're down to 10 seconds and you, you know, you're actually down 95, 93 with Manu trapped in the corner off the inbounds. Your man, your man, Rob, your man leaves him the trap. Almost like they haven't seen this movie before. Manu <laughs> finds you and all of Detroit collectively groans as you knocked it down. Ori will throw in. Player who throws in is frequently the player for whom the play is run. He comes in on the bounce to Ginobili. Back to Ori. He shoots the three. Oh, oh my goodness. Robert Ori hitting a three on the left wing with 5.8 left. And the Spurs take a one point lead. And big shot, Bob. So Rob, I gotta. I I know you've been uh, you've been there and you've done that, but please tell us what you know what you're thinking. You know, after you knocked that one down, it was just like how it felt. You know, in that moment, um, the play wasn't even designed for me. I was supposed to cut through, give it to Manu, cut through, and let Manu go to work. And Tim was supposed to come out and set a pick and roll. I was literally supposed to go to the other side. And so when I passed it, I saw Rasheed bit on the pass because you know. If you really think about it, Rashid did what most good players should do. You're in the dead zone. Manu was in the dead zone. You got Tayshaun Prince, who's 6'9". You got Rashid Wallace, 6'11". You got Manu Ginobili, who's 6'3", 6'4". You trap that in the corner. And if you get a good trap, you can get a turnover or you can, you know, disrupt the play. But Manu, being a great passer, passed the ball out to me and I just stepped in. I'm already rolling and I was going to let it fly. And so the moment was fantastic for me, even after that left-handed dunk and my left shoulder was in, was throbbing in pain, I was able to focus and key in on that shot. Like I said, when he bit, meaning Rasheed Wallace, everything just slowed down, man. And when I caught it, I was able to rise up like I normally do. And as I look back at that film, I was lucky to get that shot off because Tayshaun Prince, being the shot blocker that he he is was so close to blocking that shot, but I was able to knock down that three, and it wasn't a smooth three. It kind of rattled and went in, but I like it when you hit a net, go. But he rattled it, and I take it though. <laughs> I was just gonna say, you want to take the points off the board because it wasn't uh, no. wasn't a perfect shot. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, we we already mentioned that Tim doesn't really get very emotional or or, or doesn't re, you know doesn't react all that much in you know in the act in the moment. But I noticed he did kind of pull you close after you made after you knocked that shot down. What did he, what was he saying to you? 
the thing about Duncan, you know, Tim was this guy. He showed emotions every once in a while. When he came up to me and gave me a hug, he was like, way to go. I'm like, can I get a little <laughs> bit more love than that? Like, no, just kidding. No, but he was like, he was like, way to go. And then Tony came up next, was like, big shot Bob, you know, and it, it was just a, a fantastic moment for me because people don't know what happened to me when I first got to the Spurs. My, my first year with the Spurs, it wasn't a year, a Robador year, I would say. And I'm not speaking in third person, but I had I didn't have a good year, which was my first season there. We lost to the Lakers and they went on to play the Pistons in the finals. And I actually signed a one-year deal in two, for 2005. I signed a one-year deal because I felt like I owed them a year to show them what I could do. And so I was on a one-year contract in 2004, 2005, and I had that great season. Then I signed another contract in the offseason. Wait, I have to, and, 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 you know, not to dispute what you're saying, you felt like you owed them? Why did you feel that? Um, because in, when you come to a team, and, you know, you put great expectations on yourself, at least I do. And having, having all the playoff experience that I had and, you know, becoming, you know, the legend of Big Shot Bob, so to say, um, my first year with the Spurs, it wasn't a year that I I, I, I felt like I, I stepped up to the plate. And I don't know if it had to do with the fact that the Spurs is the first team I ever played with that had over 50 plays. And they're very uh, they're a very technical team. They, they like to run a lot of plays. And it takes you, a time, it takes you some time to get used to it. And that's the first thing I told Michael Finley when he got to us in 2005-2006 season, that it's going to take you a time to learn the system because, you know, basketball players like to just play off reads. Brent Barry and I had a great rapport when it came to that. And with the Spurs is they ran their plays. You go A, B, C. And most players, if you see a back door, you go back door. And in this system, you could not do that because they was like, no, we have something to back up the B. We have something to back up the C and so forth and so on. And so it took me a while to understand that system. So therefore, I felt like, okay, I have the system under my belt now. I know what to do to make myself better and make the team better. I know you alluded to it in a previous uh, series breakdown, but what which which system was more difficult to pick up? Because and the reason why I asked this is specifically everybody talked about the triangle as being the one. Like, oh, it's it's really tough. Was the was the Spurs system actually more difficult to pick up? The Spurs system was way more difficult than the triangle. Um, the triangle is kind of what we ran when I was in Houston. So different terminology. That's the only thing. Different terminology. But the end of the day, if you have a background, a plan for a good college team, a good high school team, you have the IQ to run the triangle. And so, and also with, with the Spurs, it's just you have to have the intellect to remember all the plays and all the signs because Pop had a lot of hand signals because of all the foreign players. Think about it. We were the, we were like an international team. Absolutely. We had all the foreign players on the So we, there was sometimes a language barrier there. So, but, so we just had like dive, roll, and all these kind of st- things and, you know, fist, you know, fist down you know, you know, floppy, you know, it's all these plays that we had, they all had hand signals. And so that's what we had to do as a team. And you had to learn all these plays and it was a lot. I can imagine it. Honestly, you having watched you guys, I, I absolutely can imagine. All right. So wrapping this one up, they, even after you made that huge three, Rip winds up getting a nice look on the other end. You know, obviously you know, it, it doesn't go down. You guys end up winning 96, 95, but do you remember the look that he got? Oh, I remember the look, man. He had a drive and he got in the mid-range. We know Rip is the mid-range master at the time. You know, he took the took a playbook out of uh, what Reggie Miller used to do and just was always on the move. And I was a little shocked to be honest with you, they didn't go to Chauncey. And Rip kind of took it upon himself to go to the hole. And, you know, he got the bump and he was looking for the foul, but it wasn't the foul. It was, you know, verticality. He went up and he missed the shot. We was able to secure the rebound. And we went on to win game five. Prince, looking inside, finds Hamilton, posting up on Parker. Ball knocked away, got it back, puts up a shot, no good. Rebound tipped out front, grabbed by Bowen. This ball game is over. The Spurs have won game five. You took game five. You're heading home up 3-2. In this one, it should be noted, Duncan was truly fantastic. He had 26-19. and 19. Manu was great again. He had 15-9-6. Uh, you know, Detroit, from Detroit side of things, they were pretty balanced. All five uh, starters scored in double figures, with Chauncey leading the way with 34. But how? You know, what? What? What's the feeling when you're headed back? You're heading back, and you're up three two. We talk about threes in this game. You know, Chauncey hit two threes, and they were only what two for nine for threes. That show you how many threes that they they would shoot. Yeah. 
and we were what um, eight for twenty. Not a lot of three shot, but you know we was like okay, we got them right where we wanted. We stole a game in their building. We gonna go home, and we just gotta win one. We want to win the first one, but we just gotta win one. And but we also were saying, you know what? They gonna come out hard. They're 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 the previous champion. They got their backs against the wall. Don't take anything lightly. Go home, get off your feet, get some rest, and get ready to come out and play game six. Rob, let's go ahead and get into it. Story time with Big Shot time. <laughs> oh, story time. So we mentioned about me and Bruce having a little um, competition with threes. It was like Bruce and I were seatmates, meaning on the planes, we would sit next to each other and we would talk about, um, you know, the game, our families and whatnot. And in this series, I was like, Bruce, you know, you're knocking that J down from, you're knocking that three down from the corner. I said, but you know what? So am I. So I guarantee you I end up with more threes in the finals than you do. The winner gets dinner. Okay. <laughs> so we had the little, we had that little inside thing going. And and then after game five, Bruce was looking at me like, dude, what did you say to yourself in the corner? And what I mean by that is at halftime of game five, you know, Detroit has one of those amazing locker rooms. Nah, it's terrible. <laughs> so I'm in the corner. It's game five. I know the importance of game five. I'm literally talking to myself. And I ain't going to tell you what I was saying to myself because I was literally cussing myself out in the corner. And Bruce was looking at me with like that weird look like, this dude crazy, right? <laughs> and, so, and, and so when I go out in the second half, I'm telling myself, dude, you suck, man. You got Come on, you got to play. It's game five. I'm giving myself a pep talk because, you know, there's so many guys out there that give pep talks and I don't listen to them because I'm the only one that knows how to motivate me. You know, so I'm trying to motivate myself to go out there and play good. And I went out and had a, a, a great second half. And Bruce and Bruce would say to me, he says, why don't you talk to yourself more often? <laughs> like, it only works once, man. It's like you can only pull that out of the hat once, you know. So Can't keep going game, to the well. Exactly. And I pulled it out in game five. And that's that's one of the things that Bruce Bourne, that he and I always laugh about to this day, that I was talking to myself. And I, I amped myself up to pull a Robert Ory slash big shot moment in game. Uh, game five and you know tim duncan was like yeah rob doesn't ever show up you know he sits on the sideline he does in the interview with tim after this was so funny because i was the next guy coming up and it is it's, it's a funny a little a little chuckle that he and i gets because he's like rob doesn't play he waits sits on the sideline all season and then he waits for a big game to show up and so <laughs> that's that's the legend of big shot bob right there at his best <laughs> that was probably the greatest performance i've ever been a part of I'll tell you the deal with Rob. Rob just hangs out the entire game. He does it all season long. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't feel like playing. He shows up sometimes. And then you, you put him in the fourth quarter in a big game, and he's like, okay, uh, it's time to play now. I've been hanging out the entire season. It's time to play now. And, and he just turns it on. And as funny as that seems, it, it's just how it is. Uh, he doesn't want to show up. He doesn't feel like playing until it's a big game. Thank you. Robert Ory will be next. <laughs> So, so I have to ask that that's a fantastic story. So, but I have to ask mm-hmm. you, where did you get your stake? Where, where, where did where did uh, where did Bruce take you for your, you? Because know, you 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 made fifteen to his thirteen in the series. Where did he take you to dinner? I, Bruce still owes me dinner, what? man. We, so yeah, we hadn't you know we hadn't we hadn't had a chance to go to dinner yet, you know, because during the Susan seasons, I was I was out of San Antonio. I was missing my family. I had to go home and see my my wife, my daughter, my son, and hang out with them. So. Uh, Bruce is never he's, he's he's never paid up on that bet. <laughs> Bruce, listen up, we're coming for you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to, when, when we promo this show, I'm gonna absolutely have to mention it. Detroit Pistons to repeat as champions. They'll have to win Game Six and Seven on the road. Something that no team down three two has ever done in the NBA Finals. So that actually kind of goes into where I was gonna start off Game Six with because obviously, you know, Detroit's fighting to stay alive once again. And to borrow a quote from, you know, a great coach that you're fully familiar with, you can never underestimate the heart of a champion. The Pistons, they simply weren't ready to go home. And I'm not saying in any way that you were underestimating them, but was there a part of you that said, hey, look, we're up 3-2. We like where we're at. You know, we at least know that we got two shots at this. No, 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 not at all. Because injury can always come into play. Um, And that's the one thing as players, you want to end it as soon as possible. You want to act like this is game seven. And, you know, you got to give um, the Pistons credit. They came out and played a heck of a game. They, they, all these starters contributed. It wasn't like before where it was just maybe one here, two there, three there. But they all came out 
and they contributed, had a good, you know, a good outing from the bench again. So it was a complete team effort by the Pistons. They feel like they're in the driver's seat right now, but they still got to knock us out. You know, we still got a couple rounds left in this thing, just like a heavyweight fight. We're coming to work, man. We're coming to work tonight. Absolutely. I mean, in the first half, it was the usual suspects doing the bulk of the damage for both teams. Ginobili for three. That's Samanu Trace. And what a way to start the game. Now's going to try to drive on Bruce into the paint. Pull-up jumper. That shot is good. You know, you guys battled back and forth. You know, it was it was it was actually a really good first half. But the second half had an actually actually had a weirdly similar feeling to those first two home games for Detroit, where they really turned it up defensively and made life difficult for you guys without you know without even really turning you over that much. Looking to right to Ginobili, shot fake on Tate on a drive along the baseline, nothing there. Dished it away, swiped by Rasheed. It's another forced turnover by Detroit. I should mention they did have six second half blocks, you know, in order to make things more difficult for you. But the Spurs, you know, your Spurs wound up shooting 34% in the second half compared to almost 49% in the first. Did you notice or do you remember any specific adjustments that would, you know, would account for such a, you know, such a swing? I, I think they amped up their defense. They try to pick us up at half court. They try to get us out of our sets because, like I said, San Antonio is a set-oriented team. We have to run sets. We have to run our plays A, B, C, and D with the movement. And they kind of got us out of that position. Can't get any better than this. Both teams playing with great intensity. Sometimes as a team, to get a team out of their rotations, you amp up the defense and you push the ball offense because sometimes when you push the ball, that makes the other team hurry up also because it becomes a fast-paced game, a la Loyola Marymount back in the day. So this is one of those things that we had to do and understand, yo, don't play at their pace. Play at our pace and keep giving the ball inside to Tim Duncan because in this game, Tim was very efficient. He played very well, but... We didn't use him enough now that you look back on that game. And speaking of this, ultimately, you know, Duncan, Manu, and, and Tony, they were each solid. You know, you guys kept on fighting throughout, but it just wasn't quite enough. The Pistons end up tying things up at 3-3 with a 95-86 win in game six. Chauncey's got Duncan on him, drives it down the lane, finger rolls. No, but she tapped it in. And there'll be no parade in San Antonio on Thursday. The Pistons put San Antonio away 95-86 setting up a game seven for all the marbles chauncey rip and sheed seem to kind of take turns making big you know plays down the stretch for this one and you honestly we are at this game seven situation where we know anything can happen rip hamilton had his best game he had 23 points in that game he was on fire he was nine for 19 and you know like i said ben wallace even though he was four for six he was out scoring points, eight points, you know, grabbing rebounds, grabbing blocks and getting steals. If Ben is able to get blocks and steals, you're going to be in trouble. He had three blocks and two steals. You have to keep the great defensive players at bay because defensive players like Ben Wallace, when they get their blocks, they get their steals, that's almost like getting a slam dunk for the team. It hypes them up. They go out and they play well. And they played extremely well in game six. So you can't take anything away from them. They came out. They beat us. Hats off to them because they're a true champion. Can you just talk about the satisfaction of, of forcing this game seven? Yeah, I mean, it means everything, you know what I mean? Um, we go back to the hotel instead of to the airplane, you know? <laughs> so I think that this is what it's all about, man. You know, you're in the finals. Um, it's a game seven, you know, the two best teams in the league. Um, don't get no better than this. All right, so let's take a break here, but coming up next... Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. 
See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File with Robert Orange and Jabari Davis. So let's go ahead and kick it to Game 7. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Game 7 of the NBA Finals, the last two Yo, you have an opportunity to get your six. This is going to be Duncan's third. So, Rob, it's winning time. What's the message from Pop, and what's the vibe in the locker room? You know, it's it's so weird. You have so many coaches that come out and be like, we got to do this, we got to do that. And Pop says, you know what's at stake? We've been here. We know what we need to do. We lost the opportunity. If in game six, just come out run our schemes, play good defense, keep them off the offensive boards, and we'll come out on top. And that's what Pop said. You know, sometimes when you have a veteran team like we had, all these guys have won rings, been there before. He said, you know, we know what we need to do. You know, physically we're ready, mentally we're ready. Go out and do your job. Simple and to the point. And I honestly, if you do the work in advance, you don't have to worry about trying to scramble to do it at the end. So I I can appreciate that mindset. It so it it se- it sounds like it was kind of similar to Phil's like in that, and I'm not you know you know comparing the two, but it's interesting that it sounds like they both had that same type of approach. I think all great coaches have that type of approach, especially when you have um, superstar players on your team. Think about it. Phil had MJ, Kobe, Shaq, Scotty. Now we got Tony, Tim, and Manu. So we had superstar status type players who have been there before and understood the stakes. And guys that you know, you know, guys in support of them, like yourself, that had obviously been there many times. So I, I get it. Okay. So you know, to no one's surprise, the two defenses they battled back and forth for the first three quarters of of Game Seven. A low scoring game, but it is tight, it is tense, and it's defensive minded. You actually got off to a nice start in this one with eight points in the first quarter. Brent Barry out front to Duncan, top of the key, inside to Ori, left hand hook shot, good over Ben Wallace. But neither team, re- you know, held more than a six point lead throughout the first half. And we actually had a finals halftime score of 39-38. We have reached halftime with a score. Detroit 39, San Antonio 38. This has been all you can hope for in the game seven. I can't even imagine <laughs> what folks, because folks will be losing their mind if that happens in today's game. I, I know, right? I'm like, first quarter, that was three for four. I was rolling. I was like, pop, run me some plays, man. Let me carry you to the promised land. I can do this, man. But no, you know, that's, that's a testament to, to our team. You know, myself and Brent Barry came out and had a good first quarter. You had 10 points, you know, off the bench. And so it takes a team. It's not just the starter. It's the team. It's the guys who can come off the bench, who can contribute. And that's what Brent Barry and I did. We were smart enough to understand the stakes. We were smart enough to, you know, know our role. And we were smart enough to have a good first quarter. So the Pistons, they put together a 9-0 run near the start of the third to take the game's biggest lead of 48-39. And again, you know, with just under 7.45 to go in the quarter. Again, that's always going to sound crazy to me. <laughs> it's a nine-point Detroit lead. But your 
Your big three, you know, they took turns scoring buckets the next few trips down, including an and one from Duncan. And it was back to just a two-point game by the 6.58 mark of the third. Duncan has it right of the lane. Tim Duncan backs down on Prince, shoots it up, banked it in through the foul. Again, crazy to say, tied at 57 heading into the fourth. <laughs> so, Rob, there's one play that I, you know, that I want to talk about at the start of the fourth. I don't think you're in the game at this stage. But Manu, he splits the defense up top, cro- you know, crosses, and he, he's actually going to his right. He jumps, and it looks like he's going to dunk it with his, you know, customary left hand. But nope, he ju- he jumps off his right foot and dunks it with his right hand. Manu starts in all the way in. That was so clever. He hesitated his dribble, and as soon as he saw daylight out, that was an explosion. He attacked that rep. And that's the type of thing he did in games one and two when he was spectacular. You remember that play? Oh, I remember that play. It was bananas because I don't know if it's the Latin flair or what may be, but the fans in San Antonio, I think they love Manu more than they love Tim Duncan. And when Manu did this dunk, we were on the bench like, did he just do that? Because he's such a left-handed player. You know, I'm not going to compare it to the moment when Michael Jordan went down in the air and switches from his right to lay it up with his left. But this was similar. They said Manu got up so high and he dunked that. And I'm like, I would love to have talked to Manu. Do you remember that? Because as a player, you do a lot of things off the instinct and off the bounce, off the moment. And I wonder if he did that off the moment because I don't ever remember him dunking with his right hand throughout the course of the season. But in that moment, the big moments, big-time players shine. And Manu, we forget, is a gold medalist, mm-hmm. an NBA champion, and he was able to come through in Game 7 big time. And, you know, honestly, and, you know, on that note, that's why it was wild to me when I saw people, you know, and, it, and, and I, should, I should consider the source because social media, it, it, it's a place that <laughs> folks are always just going to say anything and everything. But I saw folks that were questioning Manu being a Hall of Famer. And it's like, guys, first of all, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. So, but to be honest with you, he would have deserved to get there just off the strength of his NBA career. But when you factor in his, you know, international play, you know, in fact, he's a gold medalist. You know, Manu was one of the, you know, one of the greats of his generation. Yeah, you know, he won sixth man of the year. Um, I think anytime you win some type of award in the NBA, is the, you should be in the Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of guys I know that won awards, like Michael Cooper, Defensive Player of the Year, that aren't in the Hall of Fame, that should be in the Hall of Fame. And Manu should be first ballot Hall of Fame because he was an outstanding player, both internationally and in the NBA. You know, it's like catnip to me when you mention Michael Cooper. And uh, yeah, I know that's not this series, but 100% agreed. Anytime you're an eight-time all-defensive player, the, you know, all-defensive player, five of those times being first team, you know, six time, five or six-time champion, defensive player of the year, as well as multiple-time uh, champion as a coach in the WNBA, as well as in the G League, I would agree you deserve to be there. All right, and then pushing it forward just a little bit more in the action, right around the 8.30 mark, I think it was, Manu find you know, you know Manu's probing. He finds you in the corner, you know, for a three. The three puts you guys up five. And to be honest with you, you kind of had control after that point. Ori from the corner drops it in for three. You remember that shot? Yeah, I remember that play big time because you know, as a player, you know, when you're feeling good, um, I was feeling good in this game. You know, the ocean wasn't as big as it was in Game Five, but it was a, a pond, so to say. But um, for me, when you're in that moment. Um, you know what's at stake. And Manu, the competitor he is, the smart guy he is, you know, being able to collapse the defense and finding me in the corner. You know, I, I had moved Bruce out of that corner and I was in that corner. So I was able to knock down that three and put us up five. And I think for me, you know, knocking down that shot was so important for us because when you, in this day and age, in this era, when you hit a three like that in a big time situation, it's demoralizing to a team. Because as you can see throughout this series, a lot of threes weren't made by each team. You know, we out we outshot the Pistons from the three mark. And that's probably why we run this series. But for me, knocking down that shot at that moment kind of let them know that uh, we tried, but it's a nice not our night. Big shot, Bob, doing big shot, Bob things. There we go. Driving in for the right, Ginobili lays it in. Dagger in the heart. Dagger in the heart. Chris, he fires a three. That shot's no good. This game is over. The San Antonio Spurs have won their third NBA World Championship. Larry Brown and Greg Popovich, longtime friends, embrace near midcourt. The Spurs. 
Pistons have dethroned the Detroit Pistons in a classic seven-game series. This is the best championship um, I've won, just because of all the ups and downs that we went through all year long. Take it all the way to Game 7 to play the absolute last possible basketball game of the year and, and to win it in that fourth quarter. It was just everything everything together it just makes it so special. So Duncan and Manu per, uh, combined for 48 points, and you provided what they needed with 15 off the bench again. Another, you know, another, another big game off the bench. And then now you're officially a significant part of title teams for three different organizations. Now I asked you, you know, at the start, you know, like if you had thought about it and you and you acknowledge that you didn't necessarily, you know, like think about it heading in. And I also have asked you, you know, what the different rings meant to you, but what does this one mean to you, given the fact that now you've contributed to three different dynasties? For me, it was it was so gratifying. Um, I know when I held up that five, I never thought I'd be holding up six fingers to represent six championships. But to do it with the San Antonio Spurs and, you know, and sometimes as a, as a player, you, you you think a little bit selflessly. And I think about, man, I killed it in game five. You know, I, I would just kill it in game seven. Two big games, even though game six is a big game and I didn't have the, the game that I wanted to have. But those two games to me, I, I look back and like, man, I was able to accomplish something in the NBA that a lot of guys would never be able to accomplish. And so I was very excited. You know, I was very excited to share that championship with, with Brent Barry. Because think about it, Brent Barry and I came off the bench and we were plus 31. Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge for a team. You got two guys that are plus combined plus 31. And for us to step up in a big time moment and for me to win my sixth ring, for Brent to win his first ring, it was huge for us. And you, know, and you think about the San Antonio organization. They're a team that just flies by under the radar. Nobody talks about them until it's playoff time like, San Antonio has the best mm-hmm. record. Oh, they win another championship. And I wanted to be a part of that. I was happy that I was able to be a part of that because I had won a championship in Houston. I had won a championship in San Antonio. There's three teams in Texas, and I was part of championships with two of them. So I was I was very excited about that. Yeah, you know, I know I, I actually never thought about that. You know, did, did, was there ever a part of you that maybe wanted to tack on a, a final run with the Mavs to see if you could, you know, did, pull off the trifecta? Interesting fact. <laughs> um, Mark Cuban tried to sign me after the 2005 season because, as I told you, I only signed a one-year deal because I was so mad at myself for having a bad year that first year because I signed a one-year deal my first year with the Spurs. I signed another one-year deal. And so I redeemed myself to me in 2005. So Mark Cuban saw in the series that I had, he offered me a contract, which I have to say, was more money than the Spurs offered me. And a part of me said, hey, it's still Texas and no tax, take it. But I felt comfortable with the Spurs. I felt like we had a chance to repeat. And so I stayed with San Antonio. And eventually Dallas went on to win a championship in that time period where I would have been with them. But we won one, another one too in 2007. So I was happy with my decision. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like you made the right choice. And I'm not, and honestly, I'm not mad at Mark for dirty macking because I would have done the same exact deal. <laughs> hey, you think about it, wherever <laughs> I go, championships follow. So except for, except for the Phoenix, I wasn't there long enough. But hey, it, hey, I'm a champion, man. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Congratulations to Peter and Juliana Holt, to this extraordinary team, and to the city of San Antonio. Here's the trophy. This was the sweetest. This was, this was the hardest. It was a hell of a grind. We played great teams, and it was the sweetest, no doubt. And on that note, it's time for our last break. When we come back, it's our Finals Final Awards. And I think Rob might have to give himself one of these this week. MVP, me. Hey, say it. Say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. Every award goes to me, damn me. it. That's right. <laughs> Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File, and here's my favorite part. We get to your awards. Let's go ahead and break them down. What, who's, who's the MVP? Me. <laughs> Just on game five alone, me. No, but on a serious note, I think, you know, Tim has always been that catalyst. He's always been that inside presence. He did so much damage for us in the paint and everything. He had 25 points in that last game. You know, it, it could be a, a close tie between Tim, Ginobili, and me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, honestly, smiles aside, I thought I thought for sure you were going to, you know, you'll know, shout me down because I was going to say, taking nothing away from Duncan and his incredible greatness. I think a case could be made for Manu to be the the, the MVP of this of this finals. And again, taking nothing away from Tim, he deserved it, he earned it. All I'm saying is Manu was also special in this finals. Yeah, you know, the thing that we don't talk about because we're so interested in offense, Manu held Tayshaun Prince in check. And even though he was like, Tayshaun Prince, big deal. Tayshaun is a guy who averaged between 11 and 15 points a game. And for him to keep him under that is huge, you know, because he just t- totally took Tayshawn out of the game. And then at times when he needed a bigger body, he was able to guard Chauncey. He was able to guard Rip. So there were so many things that would go unheard of. Uh, uh, and, and for Manu, you know, he deserved to have his name put up there as MVP for this series. So, you know, now that we say it out loud, okay, my MVP goes to Manu Ginobili. <laughs> oh, okay. I, hey, yeah. you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm going to mm-hmm. take it a run. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So keeping keeping it going, what, who is your best role player in this series? There are a lot of great ones, but I don't honestly don't be modest. You know, I'm not going to put me in that book because I'm going to go back to you know Antonio McDice. I think he okay. provided a huge spark for them. I think he averaged uh, ten points in this series, eleven points in this series, and for him, he was a great role player coming on that team. Even though you know he because I say that because he didn't win a championship with them the previous season. He came to them the next season to try to get them to repeat, and he was a great role player for them. Him and Ben, even and, and Ben Wallace, and then, you know, I'm not going to give myself this accolade as the best role player that because I consider myself a star. Okay, you know, honestly, you smiling about <laughs> it? I don't. I, I, I respect it. I respect. It. All right, and 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 honestly, you know, shouts to McDice because he was fantastic for them. He he, he was spectacular. Yeah. Them. Yeah. All right. What about the coaching matchup? I give it to Pop. I look at the way Pop coached this series. He went with his core rotation. He inserted Brent Barry at times. He inserted uh, Baino Udrick at times when needed be. So he made some some great pieces and great moves. And 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 because uh, you don't don't get me wrong, Larry Brown did a hell of a job 
you know, if they win, you give it to Larry Brown. And since we won it, you have to give it to Pop. He just, you know, he made some right moves at the right time and by starting Mono Ginobili and, you know, keeping him a, as a starter throughout that series and not bringing him off the bench, which is what his normal role is, was big for us. I cannot disagree in any way. Um, I'll be honest with you, while it's not a criticism, had, you know, Coach Brown rode the uh, the Sheed train a little bit more or actually a lot more, I, may, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it goes a different way, it, it, both with this award as well as with the series, but. Uh, but in this one, you know, absolutely respect to both, uh, you know, both of those legends and pop deserves it. All right. You know what time it is. Who's getting the big shot Bob award and, and don't even don't play with me, man. Don't 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 play with me. Who's the big shot Bob award in this series? This is the one time I had to pat myself on the back, dog. Do it with um, both hands. Just for game five and game sevens alone where I was able to step up and knock down Jay's. I have to give myself the big shot award. Yeah, hell, his name not to me. So you know, <laughs> I, have, I, I, I have to say, man, because I, I I look back at the games in this series. It's about making adjustments, and for me personally, I made adjustments from game ones and one and two, where I wasn't shooting the ball in the correct form. I made that adjustment, and I was able to knock down some big shots. Um, having that extraordinary second half for a guy that didn't have any plays ran for him. You know, and then to go in game seven and to come out in the first quarter and have eight points. For me, I have to give myself the big shot I want. You know, even though I could probably slide it over to um, one of my favorite players of all time, Brent Berry, but I outshine him. So I'm giving the award to me. Hey, I was going to say, you can be nice. You can be nice and be cute with it. Rob, you won this award <laughs> fair and square. You're right. The, ne- the award is named after you, and it's specifically because of these types of moments in these types. Of, you know, your, your greatness in these moments. So I think it's well-deserved. Oh, I would like to say, in the words of Rudy, king me, king me, king me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic time you know, breaking this series down with you, Rob. I know it's not your favorite thing to talk about yourself, but you know what? It's one of my favorite things, so <laughs> I appreciate you bearing with me. But you know, the great thing about this series is it was two defensive juggernauts going out and battling. I know... People want to see the sexiness of you know, knocking down Jays and hitting threes and the dunks. But if you look at the, just this game as a whole and the series as a whole, it was two defensive-minded teams going out and playing for a championship. And the team that had the, not the best defense, but the best offensive output. Because good defense is sometimes great, but great offense is always better. Fair enough. And we, we will leave it on that note. Make sure you tune in next week. We got an absolute classic, MJ and Barkley. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.